Welcome to Explore the Space. We're digging into healthcare issues that matter most. Our guests and conversations mine these issues for perspective and answers. There is a gulf between healthcare and our communities. This is the place to talk about it. Now here's your host, Dr. Mark Shapiro. Welcome back to Explore the Space podcast. I am your host, Mark Shapiro. Before we get to today's episode, just want to thank our sponsors, Creighton University and Lori Bedke. Creighton University believes in equipping physicians for success in the exam room, the operating room, and the boardroom. If you want to increase your business acumen, deepen your leadership knowledge, and earn your seat at the table, Creighton's healthcare executive education is for you. Specifically tailored to busy physicians, our hybrid programs blend the richness of on-campus residencies with the flexibility of online learning. Earn a Creighton University Executive MBA degree in 18 months or complete the non-degree Executive Fellowship in six months. Visit www.creighton.edu backslash C-H-E-E to learn more. My guest in this episode is Dr. Ben Kinnear. And Dr. Kinnear is an Associate Professor of Internal Medicine and Pediatrics at Cincinnati Children's Hospital Medical Center, and he is a pediatric hospitalist. So he and I sort of do the same thing. He sees kids, I see adults, but hospitalists all the same. He joins us to discuss a very important and timely article that he co-authored in the Journal of Hospital Medicine entitled Developing Trust with Early Medical School Graduates During the COVID-19 Pandemic. This Perspectives piece came out a few weeks ago. It is available open source. You do not have to be a subscriber or a member of the Society of Hospital Medicine. It's a fantastic article for any reader, whether you're in medicine or not. The fact that medical students were graduated early back in March and April of 2020 to assist with the COVID pandemic, particularly on the East Coast, that made national news. This is a really interesting reflection of how that process worked, how the early medical school graduates were looked after and the role that they had to play in dealing with the pandemic. This is a huge rock flipping exercise. This is a really important question around medical students and their preparation. What is the right way to move medical students through their training process? How do we close the gap between medical school and residency? Is time variable training of utility here? And most importantly, was this intervention impactful? Did it make a difference? Was it helpful for patients, for institutions? Was it helpful for the medical students who became doctors earlier? Was it a good, positive experience for them? Ben and I explore all of these things. And some of these questions are really, quite frankly, they're still open. And it's going to be a really important thing to think about going forward because this could very easily happen again. Before we get into the episode and discussing this paper, I want to remind everyone, please do subscribe to Explore the Space wherever you like to download your shows, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, we're on all of them. You can email me anytime, mark at explorethespaceshow.com. It's always a treat to hear from people, ideas, comments, feedback. You can follow me on Twitter at ETS Show, Instagram at Explore the Space Show, and definitely check out the archive of Explore the Space podcast, www.explorethespaceshow.com. Everything that we've got is there. We are really close to 200 episodes. Lots and lots of great content. It's all evergreen. You can go in there, pick and choose, look around the different topics that we've done, look around the four pillars that we've done. You will find something there that you will enjoy and learn from for sure. Speaking of learning, this is a tough one. This is a huge challenge. This is kind of hot off the presses stuff. How do we help support medical students who graduated early to 
participate in caring for patients during the COVID-19 pandemic. What does the road look like from here? Ben has written a really great article along with his co-authors in Journal of Hospital Medicine. The links are in the show notes. Without further ado, Dr. Ben Kinnear. Ben, welcome to Explore the Space podcast. I am delighted you're here. Thank you for coming on. Thanks for having me. It's so interesting how we cross paths around these extraordinary times and the interactions and the articles and the writings and the learning that surfaces. There's a very specific reason why you are here. And this is one of the things that I love about this profession. You and I hadn't met before. I don't know that our names had really even crossed in a professional circumstance because we're in different parts of the country and, and all of these sorts of things. But we're connected through the Society of Hospital Medicine. We both practice a hospital-based medicine. And as we've talked about on this podcast over the last several months, a journal that you and I both like and appreciate a great deal, the Journal of Hospital Medicine, is making a concerted effort to share information around the COVID-19 pandemic with physicians, with healthcare professionals, and with the public at large with their perspectives in hospital medicine series. You wrote one of those. It was a good one. It took me back to 2002 and 2003 when I was a fourth year medical student and getting ready to graduate. It's an article on developing trust with early medical school graduates during the COVID-19 pandemic. This is something we saw happen on the East Coast in March and April, where medical students who were close to graduating went into the fray early. And it was quite a decision. It triggered a lot of emotions for us. You wrote about it. I'm so glad you're here to discuss this. Yeah, thanks. It was um, the decision to try to write this article was actually born out of some other work that I'm involved in where we are focusing on time variability and training. In other words, moving away from thinking about training like like steeping tea where everybody has to train for the same amount of time and more toward moving people at the pace that they need and graduating people when they're ready, both from medical school or from residency. And then when we saw this was happening with the pandemic of, of schools, not only across the U.S., but in other countries as well, deciding to graduate some of their medical students early to try to meet the needs of the pandemic and, and augment the workforce. It seemed to, you know, really just um, caught my attention because it does start to beg the question of, well, if we can graduate people early right now, is the are the time markers that we use for graduation kind of arbitrary and and even necessary but then i also thought this presents a dilemma for people who will be working with these graduates how do you how do you even think about uh, how to supervise them or how to develop that trust with them when they're they're you know they're not fully steeped compared to what we're n- normally used to so that's what made me want to write the the article you framed two of the questions that i thought were critical one are the time markers that we use in medical school for graduation arbitrary yes it's it's an old model uh, you know my medical school we were basically done with most of our key stuff at three and a half years and that was for all of us we still had things to do but could we have all been ready to roll out in less than four years for sure the second piece around how do we make sure there's that article of faith and trust and confidence is absolutely critical. I'd like to just go a little bit to more of our current state and get your insight. And we, we graduated medical students early so that they could go to work in places that were really hard hit in March when there was the big surge on the East Coast. Do we have any sense, do we have any data, whether it was actually helpful I have not seen any data. I'm sure people are going to be publishing their experiences 
uh, down the road. You know, we just hit the time marker July 1st where those early graduates would have matriculated into their right. residencies. So, right. you know, I'm sure we'll start to get word, but I've not heard anything either, you know, on social media or anecdotally. I'd be interested to know, though, not only how people perceive their the utility of having that workforce, but also what was the learner experience? Totally. Uh, I agree with you. Know, you. I think that would be really important to know. Did this affect their professional identity formation? Did this, you know, how they feel as a doctor? Did it did it affect? Did they feel exposed? Did they feel, uh, you know, empowered and that they were really contributing in an important way? I think all those things would be interesting to understand because certainly this won't be the last time, even if it's not a pandemic, that we might need to mobilize the workforce earlier, or if we go to a time variable model where we're graduating people at different times. I think these would be important things to know. You are one step ahead of me because if I if you and I were in a room together right now with a whiteboard and a pen, and we were sort of mapping this out. You're putting all the stuff on the board that I would want on the board. Was this an effective intervention or not? If it wasn't effective, then maybe we need to recalibrate and think how else can we augment the workforce if there's a surge? Was the experience good for the for the students themselves? Who Well, they're now new physicians. They've graduated. Was it a good experience for them? And there's a lot of variables that go into it. Was it meaningful? Was it safe? Were they comfortable? compensated fairly? Did they have adequate benefits? Did they know what they were getting themselves into? Then it's also, should we be rethinking the model in the first place? And the corollary to that is what you just said. And I had actually had kind of had written down, we need to be ready to do this again. There's no question that we need to be thinking about how do we get our workforce augmented somewhere in the next 6, 12, 18 months because the call will absolutely go up again. How can we do it in a more organized fashion where we can also answer those questions effectively? Let's start though with, was it an effective intervention? What would an effective intervention for this? Graduating medical students early to go to work during the pandemic. What are you looking for that will make you say, yes, this was an effective intervention to improve the delivery of care? Well, I think ideally you'd have to start with the patient outcomes. Yeah. Did we were we able to deliver care? Did we save lives? Did we um, get people where they needed to go in places where you might have had providers stretched so thin that they couldn't do the things they needed to do? Um, and I guess you'd have to look at not just the outcomes, but actually try to get down to the role of what did those graduates do? I mean, were right. they just there doing clerical work or yeah. did people actually trust them to take on more patient care duties that perhaps they wouldn't have gotten in another situation when there's less stress on the system, uh, more ability and people power for supervision. Um, you know, did they take on those roles and did they do a good job? I think, but I think also you can't, you have to include the effect that it does have on the learners. So you would probably have to debrief with them and say, you know, some kind of qualitative measure of experience, because you can imagine if a learner gets put in a situation where they shouldn't be and causes harm, it's obviously terrible for the patient, but it's also going to be terrible for that learner and what that might do to their development and their psyche. So I think all those things would be important. And frankly, I'd also be interested to know in those situations when early graduates cared for patients, how transparent was the team with the patient that this was an early graduate of medical school? Now, if it's, again, if it's a low risk task, then it probably doesn't matter. But if it's a higher risk task and they really are stretching beyond where they normally would deliver care, you know, does the patient know that? Because I got to say, I don't think that we're very transparent with patients in the medical education world, letting them know how much experience our our students or our residents have when they're when they're delivering care. 
So what I'm hearing from you is that for the next iteration of this, we need we need more specificity. We need more granularity on if you are in a region that is going to deploy early graduate medical students to augment your workforce because of the pandemic. Here are the places that they will be of best service in terms of outcomes, in terms of efficiency, in terms of safety, both for patients, the team, and for the, the, the early graduating medical student. We need to get granular around that and we need support around it so that it's not this sort of ad hoc approach. Because if you think about it, if you take the step of graduating medical students early, just in a vacuum, all of those things you brought up, it's a big deal. If you graduate them early and send them into the chaos of a hospital in the midst of a COVID-19 surge and all that that entails, you are adding exponential risk in each of those categories. That's right. And just think about the stress that we all feel doing that as experienced physicians. And now take somebody who's fresh out of training. uh, That's probably going to be amplified. Yeah. Have you had the chance to speak with anyone who did say, you know what? I'll raise my hand. I'll graduate early. I'm ready to go. Have you had a chance to debrief just on your own or kind of within your own professional circle? Have you heard any of those stories or anecdotes yet? I have not. And I am really curious to hear what it was like. I have not either. And I I would also love to hear that as well. And I'm guessing, you know, part of this is that it's not just that the time markers that we use to graduate people are are largely arbitrary, but it's also acknowledging that people uh, develop and gain competence at different rates. And so you probably have some people who truly were ready to do it. I mean, I know medical students that I've worked with who were functioning at the level of an intern and some of them close to the level of a senior resident during their fourth year. And other people uh, are still struggling or working on certain areas. And so, you know, I'm, I'm guessing you'll probably have a wide range of experiences where some students jumped right in. They knew what to do. They performed well. They were confident. Um, and while it was stressful, it was a, it was a powerful uh, growth experience. But no doubt there will be others who maybe were less ready or less confident or both. And it was probably a very stressful uh, experience that they felt compelled to do because they were trying to help their colleagues the healthcare system and patients. So it would, I would love to talk to one person, but I'm guessing talking to one person would be the experience of one person. And it would be really interesting. And I hope somebody's doing this to do some sort of follow-up qualitative study to, to learn more about the experiences of what happened. So that way, to your point, we can be prepared to mitigate any harm that we're causing and maximize the benefits. So this feels like a gap. We're in a very strange place where, right, middle of July 2020, the surge continues all around the United States with multiple regions that are heavily impacted and all of these same questions are being asked. But in a way, it's almost more challenging because we now have a new cohort of brand new fourth year medical students, right? They've just moved into their fourth year. It's going to be a very different question, and I think this is why even more sense of urgency around getting granular. If we need to graduate medical students again, the way medical school for the most part is currently constructed, they're not done, right? They haven't done most of their core rotations yet. They may not have done a lot of ICU stuff yet. It's going to be very mixed bag because the a, at least a big portion of the fourth year is still critical, fundamental operational learning. And now we're in this place where our fourth years are brand new fourth year students. That's right. And and we commented on that in the commentary and the perspective piece a little yeah. bit. 
Yeah. Like what happens when this occurs again, but it's not mid to late spring and it lines up really nicely with our academic cycle. So I think that uh, this is just my opinion. Um, I think that there are almost certainly some students who are fourth years right now who could graduate medical school and become competent interns and could help in the pandemic, even though we are only a half a month in. Right. And I'll, and I'll say, you know, there are there are people who do this. There was a there is currently a time variable training pilot going on right now with four different medical centers in pediatrics. It's um, Minnesota, Colorado, UCSF, and I can't remember who the other one was, but these four institutions for several years now have been promoting people through medical school based on their competence and performance, not based on time. And there were people who were ready to go at the beginning of fourth year. So it certainly is happening, but you know, it would take a lot of it would be perceived as a very risky proposition, I think, to medical schools to let somebody go early just because our systems are not designed to think about it that way. It would seem almost like dangerous, even though for some people it almost certainly isn't. I agree with you. The pushback that I will put into this really complex mixture that makes it even more complex is something that you included in the paper. You and your co-authors, I think, were smart enough to include this. It's a heuristic that I like and I try to pay attention to and I've learned more about over the years. The confidence equals competence heuristic. And I think it's really important that we acknowledge that we may not have the level of sophistication that we need to determine which students are ready and which ones just need more time. It's not because they're subpar medical students. It's not because they're not going to be wonderful, intelligent, caring, critical, talented physicians. They're just, as you said, they're just not done steeping in the hot water yet. That's a, that's a challenge. And then also too, what does it feel like if you don't go early? Does that somehow have a negative connotation? And I took myself back, right? I did, I did those exercises. Would I have wanted to volunteer in 2005, 2006? Would I have wanted to be paid? Would I have understood what I was getting into? Would I have known what it all meant? How would I have felt if I had not been selected? If I had said, yes, I would like to go forward. And I was told, you're not the guy right now. It, it, man, it's complicated. It, it's very complicated. I do have to say that confidence equals competence heuristic pretty much defines my approach to parenting. Um, if I <laughs> if I say something confidently enough, I just hope my kids will buy what I'm saying. Um, but certainly, it doesn't it doesn't work in in education. And right. <laughs> and it's true when you start pulling on the thread of time variability, it just leads you to bigger and bigger balls of yarn. Yeah. Um, yeah. There's already been a big push in the last couple of decades to improve how we assess learning both in medical school and residency and this whole competency-based approach and to try to figure out how can we accurately tell when somebody is ready. Yeah. Uh, and it's really challenging and yeah. it's what I spend most of my time thinking about. But I do think that if we can start nudging the conversation toward time variability, it does create a little bit more uh, a little bit more incentive to really try to figure this out because there are people looking into it, researching it, people developing better assessment systems. But people, you know, medical schools and residencies still have this safety net of knowing that everybody is on the same uh, time-based track. So maybe you don't know exactly how good somebody is or how ready somebody is, but it's okay because as long as they're not a huge outlier, I don't have to take them off that track. 
But what happens if you remove that track and remove that safety net? Suddenly people are much more keen to try to really, really, really know if and when somebody is ready to provide unsupervised patient care. And so I like these kinds of conversations because as you're feeling, it, it suddenly raises the stakes for, for being sure. And I think that's when people put more effort and attention into trying to solve these problems. Effort and attention is a nice combination of words because I am seeing this as a massive rock flipping exercise. We, we made an intervention in, in an emergency. We had medical students graduate early. The emergency is not gone. So the question isn't answered. We've ended up turning over this gigantic rock. And it sounds like there were already kind of, just to really overwork the analogy, the crowbars were already in place. The rock was already being lifted in terms of time-based graduation versus a formal four-year structured approach that we've been doing for over 100 years and you know, or however long in American medicine. Th- that effort and attention, that desire, that energy, is it there? Is there bandwidth for it right now? In pockets, there are. So yeah. I already mentioned the uh, the EPAC consortium that's happening, that's been doing this in PEDS for, for multiple years now, and you're starting to see papers come out on their experiences. I believe OHSU at Oregon um, is also piloting time variable training in their medical school. And there's another group at uh, Brigham and Women's Boston Children's Hospital that is uh, starting with a grant, I believe through the AMA, to do the same. And in fact, we here, it should be no shock that uh, this is an interest of mine, we just got a Macy grant. We will be piloting time variable training with some of our internal medicine residents this fall. So you're finding it in pockets. One of the hard parts is that it's really difficult. This is my opinion. There are two major roadblocks to actually operationalizing what sounds like a no-brainer. Number one is exactly what you said. It's really hard to know exactly when somebody is ready to progress in autonomy. And so uh, I think there are people who do it fairly well, but we can always do better. So that needs to be an area that we continue to examine. But then the second one is our healthcare systems are totally built in most places, especially where there's uh, medical schools, to rely on trainees as a cheap labor force. You know, if we, uh, if there was a, a rapture today and our residents disappeared, a lot of our clinical service lines would not work because we rely on the residents. And so you can't have time variable training where people progress and have individualized training paths and you can move people around uh, based on their needs and their progression. If you're, you know, I can't take resident A out of the MICU in May because they progressed and they don't need to work there anymore as a resident because the MICU is counting on that person to deliver care in May. So it's a big problem and it may take a lot of rethinking how we staff our systems or find ways to make it cost savings so you can put those costs toward hiring more clinical care staff like uh, physicians and nurse practitioners and not rely on residents and medical students. I think in bringing that up, you brought us into another minefield. And that's the part of how are we taking care of our physicians and Toto during this pandemic and beyond. Interns, residents, and fellows as they were before the pandemic, are carrying an extraordinary amount of weight in direct patient care of in COVID units. We know that. We are asking them to do this. We're not changing the structure around them. And I don't want to ask you things that are kind of outside the scope of this perspectives in hospital medicine piece, but it's important that we acknowledge 
the experience that they're having. And I think you mentioned that it's mentioned in the article. What was the experience like for the learners in this situation? Are they even learning or are they just going in there and seeing as many patients as possible as fast as they can? We need to pay really close attention to that, at least in my opinion. If we're not mindful of what this experience is like and how are we supporting them mentally, physically, emotionally, and financially, they're going to vanish and it's going to be, it's going to be a catastrophe on top of a catastrophe. No doubt. And I think even before the pandemic, uh, it was already a slow moving catastrophe in, in terms of burnout and suicide in our profession. So I think that's a, it's a great point. Residents and medical students, and I'd love your opinion on this. At least it seems to me and the places where I gather this information and formulate my opinion are reading things like JHM, going to conferences, mostly on social media because I get to interact with lots of medical students, residents and fellows, but acknowledging that it's not all of them and it's just those who are on social media. My impression is the level of understanding of what they're being asked to do and what the opportunity cost is, as well as just their faculty and understanding of understanding contracts and benefits and compensation models and managing debt is more sophisticated than it was when I was a medical student and a resident in the middle of the 2000s, like 03 to oh when was I a resident? I was a resident 03 to 06. They're more sophisticated and they're more attuned to it. And so they're asking the right questions. It feels like this is accelerating that question asking and they want answers to those questions. Is that a fair assessment, do you think? Um, I, I don't know if I have the perspective to tell you how it's changed yeah. over time, but yeah. there's certainly, uh, I mean, they're very savvy and aware. And I also think, so not only are they just brilliant humans who are going to ask astute questions, but I also <laughs> think that programs have, have become more transparent with a lot of those things. And when you're That's more transparent, point. you get to ask more questions, you know, when That's I, a really good point. Yeah. It's yeah. not, I'm not trying to infantilize residents. I'm just using an analogy, you know, yeah. the more transparent I am with things with my kids, they tend to ask more questions that they wouldn't have asked before. Right. And, you know, at least in the experiences I've had at our residencies here and talking to colleagues who are in residency leadership around the country, I think there's a lot more transparent efforts towards transparency with many of those things. So, which I think is a good thing, but then you've got to be ready to answer some of the hard questions that come with that. That's right. That's very well put. You got to be ready. And I think that's what we're still trying to figure out is how do we answer those questions correctly? And now we have to do it in the midst of a pandemic. The, The article came out a few weeks ago. I thought it was wonderful. What response did you get? Because it's also very provocative and it was picking up on a subject that made national news in, you know, in, in the regular media, let alone the medical publications and our, our own discourse. Like this was, this was news news. What sort of feedback have you gotten around the article? I I would say two general buckets. One, it has certainly brought out of the woodwork people who are in favor of thinking about time variable training and and you know thinking about using trust in a way to try to to understand how much supervision someone needs so there was some positive reaction there were some people who didn't know that people were being graduated from medical school early and just thought that idea itself was uh ridiculous and dangerous 
And uh, it was interesting. I did have a couple people who emailed me who seemed to think that it was my decision to graduate people early from medical school. Wow. And I, would just write, I was just writing them back like, hey, I didn't, you know, I'm not the dean of medical schools in Boston. But I think you can probably pick up from the tone of the of the article that I, I don't disagree with that decision. And, uh, you know, some people some people who who really believe that you need the full four years of medical school and start talking about how would I feel if I had a medical student who wasn't all the way done, they got, they got a little bit upset, but it was, there was only a few people like that. Either way, it's a really interesting conversation and I'm happy to have them with people. So where, where do you want us to go next? It's a huge strategic conversation. There's a ton of moving parts. We're still in the crucible that we were in. As we start to move forward, what do you want to be the next couple of steps? They can happen in parallel. They don't all have to be in the same direction. But what feels like the right work to you so that we continue the rock flipping exercise, that we continue to try to do the right things in the midst of the COVID-19 pandemic? I think we should be making a real effort to ensure that our assessment systems in medical schools are really measuring, are robust and really measuring someone's readiness to progress to the next level, that we try to close this gap that we have between medical schools and residency and create a better continuity between those two uh, areas. And therefore, when this happens again, and we have to ask medical students, are you ready to go? And medical schools have to ask themselves that, is this resident ready to go? We are more confident with that decision and have evidence to back it up rather than just the opinion of somebody. I also think that we should probably start talking about this in medical schools. If this is going to become a model of responding to uh, large scale need in healthcare of potentially mobilizing, you know, medical students early. Um, I think we need to somehow integrate that into our medical school of telling people what would that look like? What kind of, you know, what kind of criteria do you have to meet to do it? And what effect does that have on things like your professional identity formation, your um, understanding of how systems work, things that, as you said, we gain during the fourth year. And so that way they're not blindsided by this choice, which I'm not saying that the current graduates were blindsided, but I'm guessing it was much more surprising to them than somebody who has been thinking about it since the third or fourth year, beginning of fourth year of medical school. And that way it will, it will maybe seem like less of a hasty decision. And probably the last thing would be if we're going to consider doing this again, medical schools should probably continue to talk to their local healthcare leaders, policymakers, and institutions to have this process ironed out already of how do we get these trainees to the front lines where they can deliver patient care where it's needed in a safe way that's not rushed. And things like credentialing and paperwork and all that can take a backseat to focusing on our are they truly ready or not? That all sounds like the right work. Can I posit two other things that I think could also happen in parallel? Please. One of them is, I think we should ask the question, should it be something that starts early enough in medical school where people can make a decision about their specialty and what they want to do their residency in? And in doing so, can it be incentivized in some way? Just like we tried to incentivize primary care tracks and people who do primary care in rural or underserved environments, there's there's various incentives at the federal level for doing things like that. Could this be something where there is an incentive program in place to encourage people to move through these sort of time modulated tracks? 
is that a reasonable thing to even ask? And then the the other piece that I think would also be equally important is to make sure that the medical students in general are getting a much more rigorous financial type of training, contract management type of training, debt management type of training, so that they have a really good understanding of what happens when you get out into the world as a resident, whether it's early or not. I think that adding that module into the training what does it look like to get your first professional contract? What does disability insurance mean? What is a signing bonus? All of these sorts of things I think should become part of the training so that as people are moving into the environment where they're now being compensated and insurance and all this stuff, they have a better understanding. And again, like you said, more transparency around it. I think those all sound right. I do think that we should keep in mind if we do move toward a time variable system and people and and students or residents can have more individualized training, that the end goal shouldn't simply be getting people through as fast as possible. Although there's an argument for that because there's a cost savings, there's augmenting the workforce like we've been talking about. But but also, you know, there's a huge stress put on learners when they want to do other things in residency, like start a family, or they have to take a medical leave, or they want to focus on research for a little bit, but they are having trouble because their clinical duties are so strenuous. I do think time variability adds the option to provide people flexibility in their training, the benefits of which go beyond just getting them through quickly. So so I just want to put that caveat in there that as a proponent of time variable training and individualized training, which would kind of, which is kind of undergirding a lot of what we're saying, it is not that I think people need to be moved through faster because to be, to be fair, some people will frankly need to go through slower. There are some graduates who probably need more time than four years uh, in medical school. But um, certainly if we get it to where our system is uh, accommodating people who train, have different training needs and maybe don't need the same amount of time you know, as everyone else, then when we hit this moment again, if we prepare people in the ways you just suggested, both in terms of life skills and in terms of what to expect when you get out there, then I think this will be a little bit less jarring to people of a, of a proposition. I don't think that the term perspectives in hospital medicine, the, the, the category that this article was under, does this justice. We just kind of keep telescoping all throughout med ed, and it's fascinating. We're not going to cover all of it in this conversation, but you and your co-authors and everyone that was involved in this and the, the medical students that graduated early and the circumstance that they were, we, you really unlocked uh, something big. I mean, this is a big kind of Gordian knot in medical education. And I think it's going to, this is a huge pivot point, just like so many other parts of our, what felt to be a very stagnant enterprise of medicine in America is going to have to pivot and do it quickly. You've laid out some incredible insights, but also some incredible challenges. The, uh, the article is fantastic. Thank you so much for doing it. Thank you for coming on. How do people follow you? Because I know you are more forward-facing now. How do they find the article? How do they find you? Well, thank you so much. It's been it's been a real pleasure to, to speak with you. Um, you can find the article on the Journal of Hospital Medicine website. I believe it's journalofhospitalmedicine.com. Or if you just, you know, Google search trust and my last name, I'm sure something like that will pop up. And uh, I am fairly active on Twitter at Midwest underscore medpeds uh, is my handle. And uh, if anybody listening to this has thoughts or comments or wants to, to you know, argue with me about it, I, I love arguments. So please uh, reach out. 
We will have links to all of that in our show notes as well. I want to argue about it. I follow you. This is phenomenal. <laughs> I, I really appreciate you coming on. I'm glad you and your team wrote this. I hope you're going to write more because we're clearly, we're not done. We're barely started. Ben, this was a treat. Thank you for coming on. Thank you. My thanks once again to Dr. Kinnear for joining us on this episode of Explore the Space. And once again, thank you to Lori Bedke and Creighton University for sponsoring this episode. Learn more about Creighton's Executive MBA and Executive Fellowship programs at www.creighton.edu backslash C-H-E-E. As always, a heartfelt thank you to you for checking out the show, for spending some time with us, for sharing your time as well. We never take that for granted, and I'm very grateful to you for doing so. There's a lot going on right now. We are dealing with COVID. We are coming up on a presidential election. I live in Northern California, and we are in the midst of the early and dramatic onset of wildfire season. Take care of yourselves. Take care of the people next to you. Wear your masks. Maintain physical distancing. We will see you soon. Look forward to it. Take care. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to Explore the Space. Visit us on our website, explorethespaceshow.com. And please subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. Follow us on Twitter at ETS Show. And you can email Dr. Shapiro by writing to mark at explorethespaceshow.com.